We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, and I'm going to start with a quiz that most of you are going to find very, very easy, especially these people up here in front. This is a superhero quiz. I'm going to describe three superheroes. You tell me who I'm describing. Again, this is going to be very easy for most of you. If it's not easy for you, that's okay. Jesus still loves you, okay? Number one, a high school kid fights crime with superpowers acquired after being bitten by a pest. Spider-Man, that's right. Number two, a brave, patriotic, but physically puny soldier is injected with a serum that gives him super strength that enables him to defend our country. Captain America. Captain America is the answer. Number three, number three, this is the hardest one, a rich guy gains a conscience, begins to use his wealth to develop technology that enables him to fight evil. Who says Iron Man? Okay, who says Batman? Okay, you're both right. So, they're the same character, okay? Let's, let's just face it. So, why do we love these stories? Okay, come back, come back. We're in church, we're in church. Why do we love these stories? Why do, why do people who make these movies make millions and millions of dollars? It is, it is a, a license to print money if you make one of these movies and make it well. Why have people been selling comic books with these characters on the cover for almost 100 years? I believe it's because deep down inside, we all want to believe that we, ordinary though we are, could find some hidden talent, some secret ability, some, some destiny that makes us great, that makes us heroic. And the truth is we can. Although it's not gonna come from a radioactive spider and it's not gonna come from lightning from heaven or anything like that. God created you for a purpose. This is something I believe with all my heart. In fact, the scriptures testify to it. Psalm 139 says that God wove you in your mother's womb knowing every day that you were going to live before you even lived a single one of them. My favorite scriptures, Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's handiwork, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared ahead of time for you to do. It doesn't mean you're destined to leap tall buildings at a single bound. It doesn't mean you're destined to make a million dollars or be an NFL quarterback. It doesn't mean you can be whatever you want to be. That's, that's the lie the world tells you. God created you for a purpose. And no one can fulfill the purpose that you can, that he created you for, to fulfill. And I'm here to tell you today, the way you find that purpose is, is bound up in your involvement in the local church, not just First Baptist Conroe. If you choose to leave this church and go somewhere else, as long as they preach the gospel, finding your purpose in God's plan is found through your involvement in the body of Christ. Now we're in this series, Why Church? We've talked about how the church is the, the bride of Christ and how Jesus laid down his life to redeem her. And that means that we should be as committed to the church as he is. We've talked about how the church is God's great building plan. It's great, his great building project. And so he's bringing people of every nation, race, tribe, and tongue together under one roof and one body to show the world that unity in this polarized, divided world, unity and reconciliation and peace can be found in the kingdom of God. 
And we talked two weeks ago about how the church is the, the pillar of the truth in a world where people just believe whatever they want to believe and chaos ensues. We're the ones that hold up the truth that sets people free, that brings about a, a peaceful and loving society. And, and last week, we looked at how the church is supposed to be God's family. And we're supposed to love each other and bear each other's burdens and forgive each other in, in such a way that the world will look and say, man, why can't we love each other that way? I want what they have. But today we're gonna to look at the, the metaphor that Paul uses more often than any other to describe the church, and that is the body of Christ. And we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're gonna look at a very long section. Chapter 12, verse 12, all the way through verse 26. Let's start there. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make it in, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now on Wednesday nights two years ago, I, I preached on first, uh, first Corinthians and I can tell you chapter 12 is full. I mean, I could spend a couple of months just talking about the passage I just read to you, but I'm this morning gonna focus on just two points. And that is, find your role and, and do it with all your heart. And number two, don't get the big head. If you wanna find what God is calling you to do, those are the two things you need to do, and we're gonna take them in reverse order. So first of all, don't get the big head. It takes humility to find your role in the kingdom of God. Now, where I'm coming from with this is, there was something going on in the church in Corinth that Paul was writing to that I wanna to talk to you about. And, and by the way, this, as a side note, this is for free, this is not what I'm preaching on, but when you're reading the Bible, if you really wanna understand what it's saying, do not do what most Christians do, which is open the Bible and act like it is God's secret message straight to you. Like he wrote it thousands of years ago just for you. That's not true. God wrote it for specific people back then. And in order for us to understand it correctly today, we have to start by trying our best to put ourselves in the shoes of the people or the sandals of the people who first read it. Now the church at Corinth, when you read between the lines, you don't need to go to seminary to get this. All you have to do is read the, the text and ask, okay, what's going on in this church? 
What can I read between the lines and see about the situation here? It doesn't take a genius. It doesn't take a biblical scholar to see that in Corinth, there was division. The church was not getting along. And part of the reason was there was a group of people, a faction within that church, who had decided to set themselves apart as the super spiritual people, the elites, the ones who got to call all the shots because they were more spiritual than everybody else. And their evidence for their own superior spirituality was, we can speak in tongues, the other ones can't. Now, if you're not familiar, speaking in tongues is an ability that some Christians have. And yes, I do believe this gift still exists today. I've known some Christians who have this gift. It's an ability to communicate with God in, in a language that you didn't learn, in a language no one can understand. It's just you and the Lord communicating together in this special language. And, and Christians I know who have this gift will tell me, it's a beautiful thing for me. It's something that enables me to commune with God in a deeper way, and I love it. And I believe them. I don't dispute that. The problem is these Corinthian Christians said, because I have this gift, I'm more worthy of uh, credit, power, acclaim, uh, praise. I am, I am higher than, so. after all, why would God give such a great gift to me if he didn't love me more? And Paul says, you're wrong. That's not the way it works. Paul's whole point is, and by the way, if, if you, when you got married, if you had 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding, or if you've ever been to a wedding with 1 Corinthians 13 read in it, you know that chapter, it's the most famous chapter in 1 Corinthians. You know what the first verse of that is? Which by the way, it's not about getting married. That's not what that chapter's about. First verse of 1 Corinthians 13 is, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What is Paul saying? He's saying, and by the way, he says in chapter 14, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But he says, my ability to speak in tongues, the tongues of angels, so to speak, doesn't make me spiritual. It's my ability to love others that shows that God has changed me. Don't judge people by their giftedness. Judge people by how they live. And in chapter 14, Paul says, listen, y'all. And yeah, he says, y'all. Now, I, I know, I know you're going, what? But I, I've told you in the past, y'all is a biblical word. The, the word you, Y-O-U in the Bible, more than three quarters of the time is plural. If anybody from the South had translated the scriptures, they would say y'all. Y'all understand this. If I were, Paul's saying, if I had to choose just one gift for every Christian to have, it wouldn't be the gift of tongues. It would be the gift of prophecy. Because with prophecy, if every Christian could prophesy, then the whole world would hear the word of God. Whereas you, you people who have the gift of tongues, you stand up in the middle of worship. You, inter you interrupt everyone's worship to show off your ability to speak in this language that no one can understand. Nobody gets anything out of it except to be impressed with you. Paul says, the whole point though is, there's not one gift for everybody. It's, it, it, there's, not, there's not one gift that everybody has. Everyone has their own gift. Everyone has their own calling. We are not the same, and yet we are all equal. This is why I say don't get the big head. This is why he talks about diversity in the body at such great length in the passage we just read. This is why he uses these absurd images of an eye telling an ear, well, I don't need you, or, or a hand saying, well, I, I guess I'm not worth anything because I'm not a foot. I mean, think about it. When you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, 
What are you looking at? When you check yourself before you walk out the door, you look at your hair, you look at your, your teeth, you look at your complexion, maybe you look at your general build. Do I look fat in this, right? But you don't say, I wonder how my sweat glands are doing today. You never give them a thought. No woman has ever said, you know, mom, he doesn't look like much and he's in his 40s and he still doesn't have a job and he's got terrible breath and he, lo he loves to play video games all day. I, I know he doesn't seem great, but man, you should see this guy's sweat glands. He is the man for me. And yet if you didn't have them or if they stopped functioning, you'd be in trouble. We're in a part of the world where it's hot at least three quarters of the year. We would walk around panting like dogs and that's not a good look. We, on, on hot days, when we exerted ourselves, we would collapse because our sweat glands are the part of the body that keep us cool when it's hot. They also purge our bodies of certain impurities and that lightens the load on our kidneys. Our kidneys would collapse if we didn't have sweat glands. So this part of the body that we never notice is crucial to our survival. In the same way, there are people in churches, this church, every church, who never get told, good job, I'm so glad you do what you do, who never get told, man, we couldn't do without so-and-so. And yet they are every bit as vital to the functioning of this church and to the plan of God as someone like me who gets all kinds of attention and all kinds of kudos. You know, the, the Corinthians overemphasize the gift of tongues, which is a legitimate spiritual gift, but is not the be all end all. What do we do? We overemphasize the gift of teaching, which as we just saw two weeks ago is a, is a very important gift. The elders who, who, who rule over you with, with teaching or the teaching of the scriptures are worthy of double honor, Paul says in 1 Timothy. So yeah, you know, I or, or whoever in the future, if you go to another church and somebody else is your pastor, uh, somebody else is your, you, is your life group leader, whoever teaches you the scriptures, you should make sure that their work over you is not burdensome, but is a joy. You should encourage them. You should pray for them. You should support them. But don't say to yourself, okay, they're really do the, doing the work of God. I'm just on the junior varsity. I'm just on the B team. Or I'm just up in the stands cheering them on while they do God's work. That is not true. I remember when I was in college, I went to a, a statewide college ministry event. I was in the Baptist Student Union. We brought about 20, 25 young people to Waco. We were at this big church and they were having speaker after speaker. It was a, it was a great, great time. Uh, but I remember one speaker in the middle of his talk, he stops and he says, I just feel led right now to pray for everyone in this room who feels called to ministry. So if you feel like God is calling you after college to go and serve him in some field of ministry, would you come forward and I wanna pray for you at the altar? And I remember being surprised that so many of my group got up. I was one of the few people left sitting there. And, and, and so many other people from other groups got up that they, there wasn't room at the altar. They were actually lined up, kneeling in the aisle, all the way down the aisle, all the way down both aisles. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, okay, did I do something wrong? Should I be out there too? Because at that time, God had not called me to ministry, I, or at least I hadn't heard it. I thought I was gonna be in sports broadcasting. I was preparing for that career. And, and I literally thought to myself, well, I guess those are the important Christians. I'm just somebody. I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but I, I don't guess I'm gonna do anything really important. And, and I know there are some of you who think that way, and that's not true. You know, the irony is, God later on called me into vocational ministry, and I'm glad he did. 
And most of those young people from my group, many of whom I still know today, they haven't gone into vocational ministry. I don't know why. I don't want to answer for them. But I know that they've still done incredibly significant things for God. Their lives have been no less meaningful even though they aren't, aren't ordained or didn't go to seminary or don't have a title or don't get paid for serving Christ. So be humble. Don't get the big head. Don't think you're more important and don't think you're less important because you don't have a certain gift or calling. Number two, how do we find our role? You need to find your role within the body of Christ. How do we do that? Three things. Number one, it starts with praying. You've got to pray. The last verse of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Paul says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Does that strike you as odd? Because he's just gone through verse after verse this torturous argument of saying everyone's gift matters. Everyone's calling is important. No one's more important than anybody else. And then he says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Well, that's how you know he's not saying. So if you're not a preacher, pray that God would make you a preacher. If you can't sing, pray that God would give you the voice of an angel. No, that's not what he's saying. What is he saying? I believe he's saying, whoever you are, whatever you're calling, you should desire to do great things for God. You shouldn't say, I'm just someone who, who just doesn't have a talent or a gift. I instead pray, Lord, show me what you want me to accomplish. Show me what you put me here to do. Are you praying that way? Has it been a while since you've prayed that way? Or have you never prayed that way? Maybe you didn't even realize there were things for you to do in the kingdom of God. You thought it was just your responsibility to get saved and then sit through a sermon once in a while. No, you are here for a purpose. Are you praying that God would show it to you? Some of you would say, I know my purpose. I know my calling. Well, good. Are you praying that God is continuing to guide you? That you don't grow stale in what you're doing? That you don't assume that, well, I'm, I'm just doing what I do. Maybe God has more for you. But pray, Lord, show me what I should be doing for you. And number two, serve. You see, you don't pray and ask God to show you his will and then sit in a lotus position on a hilltop waiting for lightning to strike. No, you get out there and work. There are churches that have everything down to a, a finely tuned system where, okay, you, you go to church and you get involved in a small group and then the next step is you get involved in service. Well, how do you do that? You take a test. We have this standardized test that we have written and, and it tells you what your gift is and once you know your gift, then that puts you in a certain ministry track and, and you know, I, I admire that, but you understand that's human work. That's the work of human beings those spiritual gift tests that you can take online, and they're useful and they're fun, but they are created by human beings. They are not infallible. They are not the Holy Spirit of God. And I'll tell you something else. This has happened to me so many times since I've been a pastor. People will come to me in, in all sincerity, and they'll say, Jeff, I wanna get involved. I wanna serve. Tell me what I should do. And never once have I thought, I know exactly what you should do. And they've gone away saying, hooray, I've spoken to the burning bush, now I know. Because I'm not the Holy Spirit. And any human being who claims to be is, is lying to them and themselves, to you and themselves. So how do you find your gift, your calling? You get out and work. You find opportunities to serve God. You find opportunities to love others in his name. And let me tell you, there are a lot of opportunities right here in this church. I, I recently asked Alan, how many 
people does it take on average to make a Sunday morning happen at First Baptist Church? Including staff, including volunteers, how many people does it take to make all of this happen? Three services, life groups, the whole nine yards. 225, that's the answer. 225 people. That includes ushers, greeters, musicians, choir, worship band, sound and lighting, life group leaders, nursery workers, welcome center volunteers, kid worship, kids worship leaders, the list goes on. You know, some of those opportunities, you have to be here for six months or more and, and take uh, uh, and pass a background test. That's true of, of kids ministry and, and student ministry. But many of those that I just named, you could volunteer today and be working next Sunday. So don't tell me you don't know what to do. There are opportunities to volunteer right now. And that's just the things that happen under this roof on Sunday mornings. Wednesdays and the rest of the week, there's, there's Wednesday night ministry for the kids, for, for teenagers. There's ESL twice during the week. Uh, there's there's uh, serving the homeless on Tuesday afternoons. There's a number of opportunities right here. And then you go outside those doors and the numbers explode because you've got neighbors. And some of your neighbors are elderly and they don't have kids that check up on them. And that's an opportunity right there. And some of your neighbors have no friends and you could choose to be the missionary to your block and say, I'm gonna know everybody's name up and down this street and I'm gonna invite them regularly into my home and use the, the ministry of hospitality to just show them love and hope that God gives me an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Or you could say, I have a heart for young people so I'm gonna volunteer through Project Mentor with a, a child in our community and eat lunch with them once a week and, and make a difference in their lives. Or, I'm gonna encourage teachers because uh, right next door, Sam Houston Elementary, he's got teachers and staff that need encouragement. I'm gonna adopt one of those teachers and, and, and encourage them and pray for them and help them do what they do. Or, you know, right here in this church, we've got members who go to nursing homes and, and care facilities and lead worship services. We've got people who teach the Bible in prisons that are members of this church. We've got people that drive to distant locations and do construction ministry or others who do disaster relief. We've got people in this church who are the only Christian in their workplace. And to them, their calling is, I'm gonna wake up every morning and just pray that God will make me a light to my non-Christian coworkers. Not in a judgmental way, I'm not gonna stand above them, I'm just gonna show them love and live out my faith and look for an opportunity to tell them about Christ. And there are people in this church who say, I'm a teacher in a local school and that is mission work and I agree with you. Because you are in a room full of kids that aren't yours who you can't beat legally, and, and they are kids from every segment of society. You know, that doesn't happen in adult life. We get to be adults and we all go into our separate little bunkers, but you're in a room with kids from all over the community, and some of them in nightmarish circumstances at home, and you have the opportunity for an hour a day to pour into those kids, or maybe all day if you're a, an elementary school teacher. And understand, if you're a public school teacher especially, you may not be able to overtly share your faith, but I know enough school teachers to know that if you live out your faith in the way that you teach, you're gonna make a difference in the lives of those kids, and they're gonna see Jesus in you. So there's any number of opportunities. Serve, work, and here's what'll happen. As you're serving, as you're volunteering, whatever the case may be, you're gonna do some things and you're gonna realize, I'm not good at this. 
I hate this. I should never do this again. Then you're gonna do some other things and you're gonna say, I'm not really terrific at this, but I'm not bad either and this needs doing, so I'm gonna keep doing it. And, and then you're gonna see in the third category, you're gonna finally find something that you do and when you do it, you feel like a horse that's been let out of a barn or, or a bird that's been let out of a cage. You just, you just soar and you know this is what I was created to do. So start serving and you'll find your calling. Number three, seek the common good. This isn't my term, this is Paul's term. Back in verse seven, he says, to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Manifestation of the spirit is just a fancy way of saying how the spirit shows up in your life, how, the, how God makes himself known through you. Everybody's got, that's your calling. It's how God makes himself known in your life to others. And the problem with the people in Corinth who thought they were super spiritual was they said, my calling is to speak in tongues. And Paul says, no, it's not. That may be a gift you have, good for you. That's not your calling because if it was your calling, it would be for the common good. And when you stand up in worship and you speak in tongues, nobody's blessed by that. That just blesses you. So whatever your calling is, is not gonna be something, just something that you like about yourself. It's gonna be, and it's not necessarily gonna be the thing that you get paid to do, although it might. But what it will be is it will be something that blesses other people. I know, I know I've told this story before, but man, many years ago, comes to his church on a Sunday morning. Church doesn't have a pastor. He gets up before the whole church and he says, listen, y'all, um, God has called me to be the pastor of this church and I know it because this week I was plowing my field and I looked up in the sky and I saw these two clouds that look like the letters P and C and I know that that's God calling me to preach Christ and so he proceeds to preach a sermon that he's been preparing ever since then and he gets done and afterwards the elders of the church come to him and they say, brother, we just wanna say that we believe that God is calling you to plant corn. <laughs> because if, if you're doing your true calling from God, others are gonna see it and they're gonna say, okay, you need to keep doing that. You're blessing me. You are blessing me. You're doing good for all of us. Now, it doesn't mean there won't be criticism because y'all listen to me. The more you try to do for God, the more criticism you will get. It's a sad reality. Churches are full of sinners. Deepest wounds you're gonna get serving God usually come from within the church. I hate that, but it's true. It doesn't mean that you'll have nothing but unhindered and un unfiltered success. I know that in my own time in ministry, there've been times when I've gone, I don't think I'm doing any good here. Right now is not one of those times, I'm glad to say. But I've had those times in the past, I will have those times in the future. My point though is, if you find your calling, it won't just be something that you like about yourself, it will be something that blesses others and it won't be for your benefit. Although, here's some real good news. When I say common good, you're part of that common good. And what I mean by that is, if you find your calling, you won't just bless others, you will enjoy it. Because I think a lot of you, I shouldn't say that, I think a lot of people have a fear. If I seek God's purpose for my life, then I won't get to do what I want to do. Let me tell you something. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. I wouldn't trade, I, I would be the pastor of a church of five people rather than be the main guy on Sports Center right now. There's no comparison when you find your calling. 
So, so if you're sitting there saying, I'm afraid that if I pursue God's calling, I hate cold weather, and he's gonna make me the, 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 uh, you know, the missionary to the Inuits in Saskatchewan. Who do you think God is? Do you think God is a mean kid that just messes with us? He's the one who loves us enough to die for us. Don't you think, therefore, that whatever he wired you to do, once you find it, is going to be a source of joy to you? I can promise you it is. So, two disclaimers. Number one, don't limit God. Your calling, whatever it is, might not be something that has a title. It might not be something even that happens within the church. I hope all of you have some way of serving within this church because let's do the math. 250 people, 225 people a Sunday, we need your help. But your calling may not be what you do at First Baptist Conroe. It might be something out there. It might be something that you can't really give a snappy, quippy little title to. And it may not be what you get paid to do. Although for some of you, your job is your calling. For some of you, it's just what you do to pay the bills so you can do what you're called to do. You're a car salesman who volunteers with teenagers. You're an attorney who helps with wounded veterans. Or maybe you're somebody who manages an office and you do your best to make sure that every month that bottom line is black instead of red. And because you're a believer in Jesus, you do your job with hard work and integrity. And so usually it does turn out black instead of red. But your real calling is that you're pouring into every one of those employees and loving them like a child and, 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 and governing them and running that office with integrity so that they can see what the Son of God is really all about. So what is your calling? Don't limit God. Just find it. And number two, don't let your gift go to waste. Man gets rich practically overnight, takes his money and converts it to gold, puts all those gold bars in a big chest and digs a big hole in the backyard and puts it in there, covers it up. Once a month, digs that chest up, pulls it out of that hole, pulls out those gold bars and counts them and stares at them and thinks about how good it is to be rich. Then he reburies it, goes back to normal life. One day he comes home from work, finds a big empty hole in the backyard. Someone has snuck in and stolen his fortune. Calls the cops, they come, they question. Uh, he, he makes a complaint. They say, listen, sir, we're gonna do our best to track this down. We can't make any promises, but I gotta say, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but you might as well sit and stare at the hole because it's gonna do you as much good as that gold did. See, one of my fears as a pastor is that people I pastor will stand before Jesus on the day of judgment and say, Lord, thank you for saving my soul, but I regret the way that I lived because I never realized that I had an opportunity to serve you. I wish, I wish, there was a song growing up we used to sing in the little church I grew up in. Must I go and empty handed? Must I leave, must I meet my savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him, must I empty handed go? It's this idea that when I stand before Jesus in judgment, I can't earn my way into heaven, but I sure wanna have something to offer him as a thanksgiving. I wanna be able to say, here are the people I'm bringing with me. Here are the things that I did for you. I don't want any of you to live a life that at the end of it, you say, yeah, that was a wasted 70, 80, 90 years. 
See, the good news, the really, really good news is there's nothing you can do to earn your place in heaven. And there's nothing you can do, uh, even if you never perform your role, even if you never fulfill your calling, even if you mess up in some horribly embarrassing way, you can't lose what Christ bought for you at the cross. Now, that's exciting news. That's the best news you're gonna hear all day, I guarantee you. Jesus loves his body. You think about it this way. You're texting and your big fat thumb keeps hitting the N instead of the B. Does that happen to anybody else? Do you therefore go to the doctor and have your thumbs amputated? I hope not. Jesus loves his body even more than you love your body and therefore he's not going to reject you just because you messed up. He loves you enough to die for you. There's no pressure here. This is not me saying you better perform or else. This is me saying think about the opportunity you have. Don't waste it. Don't bury it in a hole in the ground. Live the life God created you to live. And let us help you get there.